This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Kids ministry was where we learned about Bible stories and we were, we, we were trained in understanding what the Bible truly meant. And most of the stories we learned were PG-13 stories or the, P, the, the PG-13 version of many of the Bible stories. So what we've been doing is we've been dissecting the word, going deep into the word, trying to understand uh, there, there are so many stories that we don't know about. There are so many stories that uh, go neglected. There are so many stories that are swept under the rug because we don't want to talk about it in church. Uh, But those are the stories that we've been actually talking about. It's been a lot of shock value. There's been a lot of people that say, Pastor, we never knew, you know, the Bible said that about this and this about that, and we didn't know that such a person ever existed in the Bible. We thought the Bible was full of perfect people, so on and so forth. And it's been amazing just to see the journey that we've been on. And I've enjoyed this series. Today I want to talk about a mess. I want to talk about messy lives. I want to talk about this character from the Bible, a few characters, or even a family from the Bible that was super messy, all right? Uh, Like I said earlier, we just had Nora a few weeks ago, and man, uh, with having babies and kids in the house, you always have messy houses, amen? I I have no idea. When I go to some of your houses, and I, you know, you guys have kids, and I see how immaculately looking your houses are, I'm like, how did you do that? That's crazy, because we never have that. And with the third baby, I mean, we had a messy house. I want to I wanna let you know we had a messy house. And every time people walked in over the last few weeks, I'm like apologizing for boxes everywhere. They're like diaper boxes, like stacked up. We don't have space, so we're just stacking them up. It's like size one. And I'm explaining to everybody, we have like size one and size two and size three. And I got to return this to the store. And, you know, and I'm like, why am I explaining this? Like, you know, but it's been a messy house. It's been, it's been crazy, like, and I'm not the only one. I'm pretty sure a lot of y'all have uh, moments, if not all the time, uh, messes and, and messy situations, and like me, are probably embarrassed about the mess. Uh, everyone has that closet, right, which, which has the don't open policy, right? At whatever cost, do not open this closet, right? We all have that day where when somebody comes unexpected, knocking on the door or ringing the doorbell, right, you don't answer for like five minutes, and what you're doing is you're throwing a bunch of stuff into a room, you know, mm. But man, or, or it's at the front of the car seat when, when someone's trying to ride with you and you have stuff all over and you have shoes flying from the, it's like this, like water bottles flying, you know, shoes flying. I've seen everything, socks, french fries. <laughs> We're talking about messy lives. That's what our lives are all about, man. But the truth of the fact is that from the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, We've been a mess, all right? We don't like the mess. We don't like to show our mess, right? We want to show the best version of us. We want everybody to see the best us, right? I mean, think about social media. Like, who last posted a picture of your kid with a snotty nose? Like, like runny nose all over, crying all over. Like, we want the best pictures, Right? We take like a million pictures nowadays, right? Like we're not satisfied with one picture, right, Jeff? Like we take like 10 pictures like of the same thing because we want the best looking picture. 
But what about back in the days? Do you remember the time when there was film? Some of y'all youngins don't understand what I'm talking about, but the older folk like me, the ones that have the white, white in the beard, y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm not that old, y'all, but I was, I'm old enough to, uh, to, to know what film is, right? Um, we, we take so many pictures now because it's free. Back then, it wasn't free, Jason. It wasn't. We used to buy film, right? We used to pay by the picture. There was no live photo. Pick the best shot in the live photo. We had to decide if what we were looking at was worth taking a picture of. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're like, is this breakfast worth wasting a film on? <laughs> and we didn't know if a picture was good like till one week later. You know what I'm talking about? Like some of y'all do. You have to like wait a whole week to find out. Like, and you'll, you'll wait and you'll wait and you're like, I can't wait to see my pictures. And then you'll find out that you had a thumb in the picture, you know? <laughs> I mean, it would be difficult to, it was difficult to restage pictures. Like, think about it. Like, you take Christmas pictures, right? And then uh, two weeks later, you're like, come on, kids, we've got to take this picture all over again. Mom's eyes were closed, you know? <laughs> Not everyone understands that, man. I love candid shots. How many of y'all like candid photography? I love candid shots. But you know who doesn't love candid shots? Women. They, you don't. Y'all don't, man. Y'all hate candid shots. Like, show me the picture. Show, show, show to me right now. You want to vet the picture? You want to make sure it's good? You want to make sure that you look good? Your eyes are as you think it is? You're like, no, 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 I have a double chin. No, that's, that's how you are. No, I'm honestly, it's, it, the picture doesn't show. We don't care. Guys, don't. we're just like, eh, whatever. Eyes closed, that's how I am. You're like, delete that right now. Man, when we take too many pictures, we take like a picture a hundred times before we post it on Instagram because we want to show people that we're all together. Like we have it all together. Like we are perfect. We have that perfect cup of coffee without a sip taken. Like there's no lipstick on the, on the cup, right? You know what I'm talking about? You have that perfect journal, right? Untouched. You know those pages are not touched. You have a pen over there. You have that modern chic room that you're in. You, you want the perfect lifestyle. But the truth of the fact, like I said, is we're messy people and no matter how big the mess, I want to remind somebody here today that there's nothing more stronger and greater than the grace of our mighty God. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament in, in Genesis about this man called Joseph. In Genesis chapter number 37, we're introduced to this young man. If there's one man outside of, you know, I know I can never measure up to Jesus, but growing up, learning the different men and women in the Bible, if there was one person that I really wanted to emulate in my life and in my Christian walk, it was this man called Joseph because he had a head over his shoulders. He knew when to say no. He knew when to draw boundaries. This was this young man that was loved by, loved by his family. This young man that was, not by his family, sorry, he was loved by his father, hated by his family. When I say family, he had brothers around him that hated his gut because his father loved him so much. His father gives him a coat of many colors, embraces him, loves him to the point where his brothers detest his company. In chapter 37, we're introduced to this man who is hated by his brothers and who, uh, who is thrown into a pit. They want to kill him. They want to get rid of him. But this man called Judah, uh, one of his brothers, 
rises up to the occasion, looks at them and says, let's not kill him, let's just throw him into the spit. The same man looks at a group of traders that are going along the way, pulls him out of the pit, looks at his brothers and says, hey guys, here's a better idea, let's make some money off of this. So they sell him to this group of traders for 20 silver pieces. Okay, they just just sell him like he's nothing. So Genesis 37 starts with Joseph, Joseph being sold. And then there's Genesis 38. And then there's Genesis 39, where Joseph's story continues. In Genesis chapter number 38, Joseph's story is not mentioned because the Bible writer takes a pause over there to talk about these two characters and a messy, messy story. In Genesis 39, like I said, Joseph starts his life in a foreign country, in a foreign land, under foreign circumstances, but wedged in between these two chapters, 37 and 39, is chapter number 38, which is probably known as one of the messiest chapters in all of the Bible. And there's this messy narrative about this guy called Judah. Why is it avoided? Why do a lot of us not know about it? Somebody asked me earlier, Pastor, what are you preaching about? And I said, I'm preaching about this woman called Tamar. And they said, who? And I said, exactly. Because not a lot of us learn about Tamar in Sunday school. I can assure you, I haven't read the Tamar story to my kids as yet. And we've, we're in this series where it's rated R. And at this point, I just want to kind of give a disclaimer, like I've given you guys a disclaimer all of the weeks that we've gone through this series. This is a messy subject. It's a raw subject. It's a raw topic that is about to get messy. It's a subject that you probably don't want your kids to hear or your teens to hear. And that's why I said there's a kids ministry. And if you, if you don't want your kids to hear this, you know, you're welcome to take your kids to kids ministry. But I believe that the story of Judah and Tamar is one of the many stories and the teachings in the Bible that is avoided by many people because it disturbs us. It rocks our world. It does not put us in a position to feel good about ourselves or feel good about the things we believe in. See, we're best in a position to truly learn when we're faced with something that shakes us out of our comfort zones. It's something that's very true about the Bible. Technically, it's called what is it's what it's called is disequilibrium. Disequilibrium usually happens when we receive input into our lives that we're unable to handle or process. That's what disequilibrium is. It's like a mini paradigm shift where we have to adjust our understanding to assimilate these this new input that's coming into your mind. Disequilibrium, as the term suggests, it throws us off balance. Right? It's not a nice feeling, but it's necessary for growth. In the stages of development, the doctors will tell you that all children cycle through stages of disequilibrium and equilibrium. It's like a up and down. At 18 months, they're in a stage of disequilibrium. At two years, it's equilibrium. And then it comes back down to two and a half. And then it goes to three, three and a half, four, four and a half, five, five and a half, six and a half, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven, and so on and so forth. It's a fact of life that we go through moments and seasons of equilibrium and disequilibrium. 
But if I had to break down this chapter, and that's what we do here at church, is we expositorily study the Bible, where we take passages of scripture, break it down, read it verse by verse. So we're going to go as much as we can. Are you guys ready for this? Let's break down. Let's go to Genesis 38, and I have the verses up because I'm not going to read the entirety of the chapter, but we're going to go verse by verse till the point where we kind of need to stop, all right? So this is what the Bible says. About this time, Judah left home and moved to Adullam, where he stayed with a man named Hira. All right, now, quick backstory. Here's this guy that has sold his brother. He's gone back home, lied to his father, saying, Father, we don't know where your son is. We were on the way back home. We saw this coat that you had give, given him. It was, it was in a pool of blood. They bring this bloody coat back to the father and say, here, father, we found this. We don't know what happened to your son. The father is heartbroken. The father is torn. He's crying. He's a mess all over the place. And the Bible will go, to tell us that he never recovered from this bad news. Knowing what he had done, this guy decides to take off. See, you will see critical error number one in this whole story right off the bat. And what it was, was he gets rid of his brother, runs away from home, and he sets off to rebuild his life. And he stays with this carnal and this worldly man called Hira. He gets away from the family of faith, the accountability that he has, the kind of repentance that he probably had to go through, the confession that he had to make. He escapes from that. He escapes from reality in the hope that he can mask that pain, mask that guilt into a faraway land where he detaches himself from people that can hold him accountable. And here he is attaching himself to a man called Hira, who's a worldly and carnal man. Remember in your deepest, in your darkest, in the lowest of your times, remember the people that you attach yourself to have a huge role to play in the destiny that is ahead of you. Remember that. There is this gravitational pull that human beings have to old life and old living and people that used to be in their lives or old lifestyles and old addictions and because those are the things that they know. Am I talking to somebody? These are things that they are automatically and gravitationally pulled to. Christians, listen to me. In your lowest of times, remember to surround yourself with people who will lift you up, who will speak life into you, who will tell you that you messed up and that you need to repent and come back into the presence of God. It may hurt for a second, but let me tell you, it has eternal significance that you and I can never perceive with the eyes that tell you, escape, run away, get away. But he does exactly the opposite. He escapes because he doesn't want to face the music. All right? I got to go on. I got to go on. But here's this thing. Verse number two. There he saw a Canaanite woman, the daughter of Shua, and he married her. All right? And then when, uh, I think, yeah, here you go. And then this is what the Bible says. He married her. All right? And then he slept with her. That's what the Bible says. Now, it's simple. We went over this in the, in, in the book of, uh, in the, uh, when we studied earlier on in the series, when we studied about David, we, we, we studied this exact same thing. All right? David sees, he takes. Am I, am I talking to somebody? You see this trajectory of this, this compare. It's, it's good. You, you got to see this. All right? He sees, be careful, guys. What you see, not everything you see is something that you got to take. Come on, am I talking to somebody? We can't treat life like a buffet. 
Judah is like Cookie Monster. Me see Cookie. Me want Cookie. Me Cookie. That was a horrible impersonation of Cookie Monster. But this dude leaves the family of faith, goes away into the pagan land, marries a Canaanite woman. Why is this a problem? We're talking about ungodly relationships. We're talking about having boundaries, okay? Knowing what was taught to us. Knowing what the word of God tells us. See, the problem is that not, it's not that we don't know what the word teaches us. It's not that we don't know the difference between right and wrong. But in moments like Judah were in, it's easier to tap out than to stay in the fight and fight the right way. Okay, now, now he, he knows it all. Genesis chapter 24 and verse 3, Abraham was about to get a wife for, you know, for, for, for his son and he sends a servant and he looks at him and says, here's the only condition. Go and find a wife for my son, but make sure it's not a Canaanite woman. Okay, or in other words, it's not because that's, it, 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 they were a land and they were a people that was so carnal and they were so worldly that Abraham, his grandfather, looked at him and said, do not marry somebody from there. Don't, do not be equally yoked. Fast forward to the time in Genesis 24, sorry, sorry in uh, Genesis chapter 28 and verse 1. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Second generation. Not just Abraham telling Isaac. And then when Isaac tried to get somebody for Jacob, he looks and says, hey, go get anybody, but do not get a Canaanite woman. See, they got that right. They were, they were dysfunctional. There was generations of dysfunctionality in their family. But that one thing, they said, we cannot be unequally yoked or our souls cannot be unequally yoked to people that we shouldn't be with. That was one thing that they got, but they were dysfunctional. They were messy. I mean, think about the trajectory of this. Abraham, look at Abraham. No matter how much he said, let's not marry a Canaanite woman, he still tries to give his wife away. You remember that incident? There's this man who looks at, looks at his wife and says, girl, you know, you, to save our lives, I might have to sell you away. I, it goes down. Isaac does similar things. Jacob is a schemer. You see this generational transfer of sin, right? And this is a dysfunctional family. You know, if, if you are jacked up and if your family is jacked up like their family was jacked up, let me tell you something. The grace of God is more than sufficient to pull you out of whatever mess that you're in. See, if you're new to the Bible, the Bible is not full of good examples. All right? I'm sorry to burst your bubble. All right? Here's where you're, you're going to get really disappointed. If you're a new Christian, and if somebody looked at you and said, come to church, there's some amazing good people in church. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like, if they look at you and say, come on, study the Bible with me. This is an amazing, awesome book filled with awesome people. Awesome, awesome, awesome. And then you open up your Bible and then you skip stories like this. And you skip stories like the sin of David and all of that stuff because you want the best stuff to be portrayed. Mm. But if you're new to the Bible, the Bible's not full of good examples. It's full of messy, messed up, dysfunctional people that just... Find a great God. Okay? It's a story about this amazing, gracious, great, great father who loves his people and loves the people that he created. But these people turn their back on him and they're sinful. It's a story of me and you. This is where it's going to get messy, y'all. Frankly, it's, it's, you know, if you take a hard look at this passage it can be considered by some as uh, bordering on uh, pornographic material. It's about sex. It's about prostitution. It's about incest. And it's about illegitimate children. 
All right, in verse number three, and this is what the Bible says, y'all, and we teach the Bible as it is. We can't just take away passages and say, you go home and figure it out because when that happens, you run into the risk of people saying, no, I don't want to read this or let's interpret it however. So here's my job. Can I do this today? Y'all good with this? As we wrap this up, let me, let's do this. Next week, we'll go to something else, okay? But, but listen up. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and he named the boy Ur. Ur. Don't name your son Ur. Sounds like something Cardi B would name her child. (laughs) How do I know Cardi B? No, I'm just kidding. Pastor. Verse 4. Then she became pregnant again. Some of you are like, who's Cardi B? She became pregnant again and gave birth to another son, and she named him Onan. Wow. Verse number 5. And when she gave birth to the third son, she named him Sheila. (laughs) <laughs> they desperately wanted a boy, man. Or they, they, they desperately wanted a girl. At this point in time, they're all boys, right? The names his boy Sheila, right? And in the time of Sheila's birth, they were living in Kezib. In verse number six, in the course of time, Judah arranged for his firstborn, born, Ur, to marry a young woman named Tamar. Pause there for a second. How many of you have heard of arranged marriages? Come on, somebody. Now, we're brown. We, there are a lot of y'all, there, a lot of us that are here that are brown. Y'all know what arranged, if you don't know what arranged marriages are, I'll tell you for just a second. It's biblical. It's biblical. Okay? That's what arranged marriages were the norm back in the day. Like, Abraham sent somebody and said, hey, go find a wife. I don't have time for this. Uh, we, don't, we don't have no dating. We don't want to get to know anybody. Go find a wife for my son. Right? I, 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 my dad and mama are here. This is going to be super awkward, me preaching this whole message, okay? Dad and mama here. But dad and mom always talk, I ask them all the time. I like to tease them, and I ask them all the time. I was like, dad, how did you meet mom? You want to hear the story? Here's the story. Here's a short form, short version of the story. Short version of the story was this. They were, they were, they were born, raised in India in a very conservative culture in South India called, in a, in a state called Kerala. And, uh, how it happens, there are a lot of arranged marriages that happen. And, uh, what, what happened was the, 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 there, there was, there was somebody that said, hey, there's this pretty girl down the street that you can go and check out. So my dad and his family, his dad and a few of his brothers all got together and uncles got together and said, let's go and check out this amazing girl. So they all go, they sit down in the living room, and in comes my mother with tea, all right, chai. You know what Indian tea is? Indian tea in her hand to come serve everybody. She's shy, she's, you know, she's, it's, it's the process, okay? So bear with me. So she comes in to serve tea to everybody that's present because everybody has to approve. Uh, it's just not the it's just not the guys. It's not dad that has to say that's the girl. So I said, okay, that's cool. You know, you, you guys got married, but but I, I always tease him and I say, Dad, how did you know that I asked him this once? And I don't, I don't think he remembers, but I asked him, how do you how did you know that she was the one for you? You know what his answer was? I saw her hair. It was so beautiful, and I knew that she was the one for me. <laughs> All right, Dad. Here you go, Dad. You know what I'm saying? Like, she had amazing hair. She told me the other day, she was like, this water here in Dallas is not working well for me. My hair, I was like, I agree with you, Mom. My hair, too. (laughs) But it was the norm. Man, back when I was getting married, I was like, "Eh, hey, heck, no, I'm not getting in an arranged marriage. I need to know who I'm marrying. But now that I have three daughters, the tune has changed. I'm like, no, I believe in arranged marriages again. I do. Thank you, Jesus. It's from the Bible. 
Micaiah, Carissa, and Nora. We're going to be biblical. All right, let's go on. Focus, Asha. Focus. Mm. Okay. Verse number seven. But Ur was a wicked man in the Lord's sight, so the Lord took his life. All right? A lot of people just pause over there and say, I thought, I thought God was a merciful God. I thought that God was merciful. But, but let, me, let me pause here for just a second. Doesn't he overlook people's shortcomings? He, he does. There's, there's mercy and there's grace and all of that stuff that is important and important to consider. But our God is also a just God. See, God, God always will make sure justice prevails. Am I talking to somebody? Like, some, like, it's the case here in America. Just because something's legal and allowed, just because the justice system says it's okay to do it, it doesn't mean that it's right in front of God. It's not just. It could be right in the eyes of somebody. It could be legal in the eyes of somebody. In some court of law, it might hold up. But in the court of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, I am holy, so be holy. I got to go on. Verse 8, uh, the Bible says, And Judah said to Ur's brother Onan, Go and marry Tamar, as our law requires of the brother of a man who has died. You must produce an heir for your brother. Now, I want to pause there for just a second. In the American culture, in our way of thinking, we can never wrap our heads around this. But this law that he's referring to is what's called a leveret marriage or a leveret law. And it it only kicks in or it only applies if a man died childless. If a man died childless, leaving his widow in order to continue his family line, women actually relied on men. So what they would do is that the oldest brother would jump in and say, hey, you know what? I will make sure that I bring you in and we will become one family along with my family and I will make sure that you have children. And I know this may sound messed up to some people, but this is where it's going to get weird. Are you ready for this? Verse 9. But Onan was not willing to have a child who would not be his own heir. So when, whenever he had intercourse with his brother's wife, he wasted the semen on the ground. This prevent, prevented her from having a child who would belong to his brother. It's about to get crazier, like I told you. I right, put on your seatbelts. Like, what is this message from Onan mean? It simply means this. Are you ready for this? It means this. He wanted the perks of a relationship without the responsibilities of the relationship. That's simply what it means. A lot of us want perks of relationship. And this might be our relationship with God. It might be our relationship with people. But, but, but someone once said this, that, the responsibi that, that responsibility is accepting that you're the cause and the solution to the matter. It's both. In verse number 10, the Bible says this, but the Lord considered it evil for Onan to deny a child to his dead brother. So the Lord took Onan's life too. Man, this is a jacked up family. There's deaths happening all around. This is red flags all around. And, and, and you know, here's a question that we always get asked. Pastor, what is this passage about? Like, is this about God telling us about, like, is this teaching us about birth control? No, it's not. That's not what this is all about. She's probably 13 years old, this woman called Tamar, this girl called Tamar, where they come of marriageable age, 
But these little girls are, are told to marry other men, right? She's probably crippled, not that she's physically crippled, but she's not able to do the things that many women in today's day and age can do. And her only hope at that point of time with her, with her husband dead was her father-in-law because the, she, was, she was sent to her father-in-law's home when she got married and they all, they, they all had their homes together. And what would happen is the father-in-law would come in, he would rescue her, make sure her family line continues so he was the one that she would look up to. So what does he do? Listen to this, it gets messier, like I said. Verse 11, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my son Shelah is old enough to marry you. He's not old enough, but when he becomes old enough, I'll let him marry you. Now listen, in parenthesis, but Judah didn't really intend to do this because he was afraid Shelah would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's home. You know what Judah thinks? He's like, man, this is a curse. Like everybody this girl ends up with is dying, all right? But here's what you don't understand. The Leverite law was also applicable to the father-in-law. A father-in-law had it in his purview to make sure that he was the one that provided the offspring for this woman. That, that, that was just part of the Leverite law, okay? But, but he knows that he doesn't want to put himself through that danger. He's like, two of my sons have died already. I don't want to go through this risk. I don't want to put my, 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 my other son through this risk. So what am I going to do? I'm going to send her away. His, her only hope. He doesn't know that she's not the curse. His family is the curse. It's he who is responsible for her. It's not her parents that were responsible for her. Like I said, the moment she got married, her parents sent her away into a new home and to send her back to her parents' home is not right and that would in that day and time put her to shame. So she's going back with her head down. She's going back ashamed. She's going back with no hope because she has nothing to show that she earned. She has nothing to show for herself. See, in the ancient world, you didn't make it if you got educated. That's the woman today. You, you make it today if you, got, you get educated. You get a good job. You, fed, you, you, know, you, you make money. You, 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 you get into places of leadership, whatever it is. But back in the day, you made it because you got married and had children. That was a sign of blessing for a woman. And here's this woman without no blessing, going back to a home. See, the sin of Onan isn't the sin of birth control. It is the sin of not lifting up the downtrodden and the vulnerable. It was the sin of justice. This is why as a church, we always talk about how important it is to lift up the downtrodden, the underprivileged, the less privileged, the people that are disenfranchised. We are the ones that God calls to walk justly, to walk humbly, to be able to speak into their lives and pick them out. We're called as a church to lift the downtrodden and the unprivileged church. Verse number 12, the Bible says this, some years later, Judah's wife died. After the time of mourning was over, Judah and his friend, Hira, the Adulamite, here's, here's the thing, back comes this man who speaks negativity into this guy. The Adulamite went up to, T to Timnah to supervise the shearing of his sheep. And someone told Tamar, look, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sleep. Now, now, Judah's wife passes away. He mourns her death. Finally, something noble that he does, right? He, he's there's something good about this man. He takes time to mourn for his wife. And what happens after he's finished mourning? Oh, he gets messy. He goes to a party. And just not any party, like I said earlier, when you're mourning, when you're down, when you're in the dumps, Remember, 
where you run to. You run into the presence of God. He goes, it's just not any other party. It's a wild party. And you're like, sheep sharing? That's a wild party, Pastor Rogers? What kind of party is that? Sheep sharing was a festive time. There's a lot of free-flowing booze. There's a lot of illegitimate sex. It has a lot to do with these Canaanite, religious, carnal, worldly practices. He involves himself in that. He exposes himself to that. He puts himself in a vulnerable position. And verse 14, Tamar was aware that Sheila had grown up, but no arrangements had been made for her to come and marry him. So years had passed. Right here, he, here she is waiting in her father's house saying, one day, maybe my dignity will be restored. My honor will be restored. My, you know, every shame will be lifted up, but nothing is being done. So she tries to take matters into her own hands. So what does she do? So she changed out of a widow's clothing, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself. Then she sat beside the road at the entrance to the village of a name, which is the road to Timnah. Judah noticed her and thought that she was a harlot. She was a prostitute since she had covered her face. Verse 16, so he stopped and propositioned her. Let me sleep with you, he said, not realizing that she was his own daughter-in-law. How much will you pay to sleep with me? Tamar asked. Here's where I need to pause for a second. I need to add at this point that we may not agree with Tamar's actions, But a reminder to you, just what I told you a few minutes ago, but Tamar was only doing what she felt right to obtain her leverage rights. Here's a woman in widow's clothing, face covered, body covered, shame all over her, and ancient customs actually allowed for the father of the deceased son to fulfill the leverage obligations for his son. And I'm not condoning her actions. I'm not. I am just stating a fact. Now I want to go on. Verse 17. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, Judah promised. But what will you give me to guarantee that you will send the goat, she asked. What kind of guarantee do you want? He replied. She answered, leave me your identification seal. It was a signet. It was a ring. It was a cylindrical sign or a seal or a ring that he had. And it's cord and the walking stick you are carrying. So Judah gave them to her. Then he had intercourse with her and she became pregnant. Verse 19. Afterward, she went back home, took off her veil and put it in her widow's clothing as usual. Now listen carefully. The signet, or the ring, like we talked about, was a cylindrical seal that bore the owner's name or symbol and was worn on a cord around his neck so that it could be seen by others, and it was used as a stamp or as a signature. When he went to the store to buy something, if he went to buy cattle, if he went to sign his people's, uh, his servants' paychecks, or slaves' paychecks, he would sign it with that seal. Here is where the spirit of stupidity kicks in. Here's the thing. When you're in the dumps, it's easy for the spirit of stupid to kick in. When you're at the lowest point, the reason why you have to to, to not stay there and dirty yourself in the mud that you're already in, that's that's what we do, man. Anytime we're low, we're like, we're like, "Ah, we're, we're already low. We're already in the dumps. We're already dirty. So let's smear ourselves with more dirt. How, How much more messier can it get? But the spirit of stupid kicks in sometimes. How many of y'all have been there before? I've been there so many times. Where I'm like, oh, shush, 
to rebuke the spirit of stupid. Come on. I'm, I'm telling you, it's easy. When you give it leverage, when you give it permission, you do crazy things that you look back and like, I did that? Here's this dude, this woman says, give me your identification card. Give me your driver's license, your passport, and while you're at it, give me your social security number too. Here you go, here. That's all, you want something else? You want my birthright too? But think about this for a second. This, he's, it started back in, back in Eden. It started back with Cain and Abel, the spirit of stupid. Am I talking? This is not, it, don't go and look in the Bible for the spirit of stupid. It's not going to be there. But, but think about it for a second, right? The, the spirit that makes you want to do crazy, insane, lower than you things, like things that you would never otherwise do. Man, the enemy uses moments in your life that are low, that, are, that, that, that he knows that you're at the most vulnerable. When you've lost something, this man has just lost his wife. And at that point in time, come on, somebody, when you lose your job, mm, I have, I've seen so many men and women do the most darnest things after they lose their jobs. I've seen men and women get into addictions that they shouldn't get into because they lost something that they put value in. See, it goes back to that. What is your value in? Because the pro- <laughs> when you place value on something, every piece that you have in your heart is connected to that one thing. The culture called for it. I didn't go on. I didn't go on. He says, let me, give you, let me give you everything. Stop giving up your identity. Esau gave it up. Remember that? The brother comes up to him and says, hey, what do you want? For a bowl of what? Come on, somebody. Soup, man. Not even brisket. Like, I would have understood if it was brisket. It was what the devil looked at Eve and told her. Man, go ahead and eat the fruit. You will become like God. See, it's all about identity. It's... You are not this, I will make you something. So this desire to be something outside of who God created you to be often pulls you in those directions. See, as a Christian, your signet, your cord, the staff is something greater than anything you own. It's your identity as a child of God who wears the name of Jesus Christ and is reputed to be a member of his body, this church, the body of Christ. And let me tell you something, do not allow the spirit of stupid to kick in and steal that away from you. Your identity is that you're a child, you're a son, you're a daughter of the living God. Stop trading that away. Stop giving that away. Stop giving that to whoever doesn't need it today. Man, we trade it in. Our identity is not in our joy. Our identity is not in our suffering. Our identity is in Christ. Whether we have joy, whether we have suffering, whether we have sad, down, dumb times, whatever it is, our identity should not be outside of the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, later, Judah asked his friend Hira, the Adulamite, to take the young goat to the woman and to pick up the things that he had given her as a guarantee, but Hira couldn't find her. Godly friends, God, can, I go, can I go there? Godly friends will never allow you to do something that is contrary to God's word and his will. If you surround yourself with people who constantly lead you into sin, who constantly encourage you to lie, 
who constantly encourage you to cheat, who constantly encourage you to cuss and, and be in, a, uh, in an environment that makes you deplete rather than increase, it's time to reconsider the people that you're around. But Hira couldn't find her. So he asked the men who lived there, where can I find the shrine prostitute? Okay, it goes back to this was how they did things in the city, who was sitting beside the road at the entrance to a name. We've never had a shrine prostitute here, they replied. So Hira returned to Judah and told him, I couldn't find her anywhere. And the men of the village claimed they've never had a shrine prostitute there. Then let her keep the things I gave her, Judah said. I sent the young goat as we agreed, but you couldn't find her. We'd be a laughingstock of the village if we went back again to look for her. Ah, uh-huh. okay. Verse 24, about three months later, Judah was told, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has acted like a prostitute. And now because of this, she is pregnant. Ooh, the bump is seen. People notice that this girl is pregnant. Her husband is dead. Come on, some, you, so the conclusion that everybody comes to is that she is a harlot. How many people have come to conclusions about you without even consulting you? That girl that had to wait for your son, Judah? Come on. Bring her out. Listen to Judah's response. Come on. I am Judah. Listen to Judah's response. I'm not telling you that you're Judah. I am Judah. And listen to my response. Bring her out and let her be burnt, Judah demanded. Wow. Just wow. Man, dude. And can you just imagine Judah's secret relief? And now I have a legal way of getting rid of this unlucky woman, this cursed woman. I don't have to give my, my son Sheila to her. I don't have to fulfill my own obligations. He says, bring her out and let her be burnt, Judah demanded. Man, such a hypocrite. See, holiness is always expected from somebody else. It's not really expected from you or from me. See, it's amazing how terrible my sin looks when it's done by someone else. Am I talking to someone? It's amazing how I hate my sin when someone else wears it. It's crazy how easy it is to judge someone because they sin differently than you. <laughs> oh, brother, that's, that's bigger. I would never do that. Like, I would never do what Ju- I would never do what Tamar did. So what does that make me? That makes me better than someone else that sins. Am I talking to someone here? David Wilkerson says this, he says this, he says, when someone hates something too much, it's a sign that something's going on inside of them. Take a moment and think about that for a second. I want us to reflect in our own lives about this particular statement. A person's character is shown through their actions, not by where they sit on a Sunday. Let your character speak more volumes. It's not about what what I do, what I say, where I sit, the, the things I say. It's not about that, man. What a wretched of a man this guy is. Like, like this guy is is a is this lying, scheming, adulterating, fornicating man. And and then Jesus. In a few moments, you'll find out that Jesus chooses his lineage 
to come into this world through. This guy's this classic example of a hypocrite. So many people avoid church today. You know why? Because of hypocrisy. I don't want to come to church faster because the church is full of what? Hypocrites. How many of you have heard that before? How many of you have said that before? Okay. Thank you for being honest. Thank you. I appreciate honesty here. See, the characters in the Bibles are full of hypocrites, y'all. The Bible is very honest about wretchedness. If you're avoiding church because of hypocrites, come anyway. You'll fit right in. You'll feel at home. That's why we have a big sign out there that says, welcome home, because every single person in this room, including me, is a sinner, is broken. I, have, I don't have it all together. I'm still a work in progress. I'm, I'm trying to encourage somebody today. We never claim to be a bunch of perfect people with perfect life and per- perfect lives and perfect Instagram posts. We're messy and sinful and don't have it all together. The Bible says there's none righteous. That's what the Bible says. Well, if you're listening to this and you say, well, I'm not like Judah, like I said. You say, well, that woman shouldn't have been prostituting herself. She set him up. There's a bigger picture today. There's, there's a lot more to what, what's on the surface. Verse 25, I'm wrapping this up. Worship team, y'all can get ready to come up. But as they were taking her out to kill her, she sent this message to her father-in-law. The man who owns these things make, made me pregnant. Identify them. Whose seal and cord and walking stick are these? Judah recognized them immediately and she said, and he said, she is more righteous than I am because I didn't arrange for her to marry my son, Sheila, and Judah never slept with Tamar again. The other day I was talking to somebody and they, they looked at me and said, Pastor, uh, man, it's, it's different now. There's so much accountability. And I was like, what are you talking about? I said, because he, he looked at me and said, he's like, there's cameras everywhere now. Like, you can't do anything now. Like, you, you, you just can't get away with anything. And I'm like, what are you trying to get away with, first of all? Like, I'm like, where's this conversation going? Like, you can't, Pastor, you can't. There's social media now. There's Facebook and Instagram. People are watching, Pastor. I'm like, that's not the reason that you stay holy, bro. You stay holy because he's watching. Like, like where did we lose that? Like, has technology deceived us? Into, into telling us that God is not valid. You know what makes me want to be like Joseph? Is because he said, people around him would be like, hey bro, you're in Egypt. You're not with your father's house anymore. Like, like polygamy is acceptable here. Like people sleep around here. Like you can do whatever you want. Like nobody's going to be your, nobody's going to be watching over you, correcting you, holding you accountable. But this man had the integrity, this young man, this unmarried man who loved God and had the fear of God inside of him, had the integrity to say no. But everyone's doing it, Joseph. Everyone's doing it. It just a little bit doesn't hurt. No, one, it's not going to hurt anybody. This woman that seduced him probably looked at him and said, "My husband's probably doing it right now." I bet you he wouldn't care. But you know what Joseph's answer would probably have been? His answer would have been, "But there's still God." But there's still God. It's not because CCTV cameras are watching you. 
It's not because Facebook is watching you, Instagram is watching you. Go ahead, open a Facebook profile. Come on, nobody's watching you, trust me. Okay, think about God watching you. And if I live every single moment of my day, come on, like I'm, I'm pausing and I'm saying, what does it feel to be like Tamar? Hmm. Because you know when the proposal came for marriage, when they went to find a bride for the groom, you know what the proposal said? It said a Christian man with a great family in the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and, oh, come on. They had the big guns. They had the top ad in the newspaper. They, come on, everybody knew who was, who Abraham, the godly prayer of this family, the dedication, man, the, this, this is going to be good. The father probably looked and said, man, this is a great family to send my daughter into. Are you tracking with me? Like, think about what it feels to be like Tamar. Man, I'm going to be good. It's going to be good. We're going to pray every day. We're going to have family. We're going to, we're going to you know, have worship every day. He's going to have a guitar in his hands, piano. We're going to have drums at home. We're going to just sing, pray. We're going to have an amazing Christian upbringing. See, little did she know that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob had little influence on what you decide to do in your life. See, your mama's prayer has very little influence if you don't decide to take up the baton and run your own race. So many of us rely on the races of mom and dad that prayed and went before that we fail to run our own race that God has set before us. And God is looking at each one of us and saying, Judah, you better run your race. Because godly prayer and dedication of one generation will go futile if the next generation doesn't keep the fire burning. He marries, she marries this ungodly man is what the Bible says. He, and, and Tamar's like, God, this, this is, is this what I signed up for? Like I didn't know anything about this guy and I just thought that he was a Christian. I thought he was a man of God. I thought that he had a great family. But then I come to find out that my father-in-law sleeps with harlots and I can only imagine this woman just going and saying, God, would you do something? And God did do something. She gets dragged out, man. She gets dragged out in the public. See, the hero of the story, this, the, the, this, this story is not Judah. This, the, the hero of the story is not Tamar. The hero of the story is God who through his extravagant grace draws and pulls every person involved in this party and offers unconditional forgiveness and love and mercy. That's what blows my mind. See, the hero of the Jesus story is not just Judah. See, just as much as he chose the seed of Judah, he chose the womb of Tamar. Remember, you might see yourself as a victim, but your story has a huge role to play in what God is going to do. You might think you're not deserving. See, there's no application today of saying, guys, go be like Judah. Guys, go be like Tamar. I don't have an application. The thing here is the extravagant love and grace of God Almighty just takes over the show. Like when you're in the dumps and when you're depleted, remember it's God's extravagant grace that has the power to just come and take center stage 
and all lights will be on him. It's not on you. And the question I asked of Judah is, do you recognize these? Do you recognize this ring and do you recognize this, this chain or this, this staff? Do you? We need Judah to get it together because nothing changes till your identity changes. And, and he looks and he doesn't make up excuses. He doesn't make up excuses. He looks, he recognizes, he says, she's more righteous. Guys, you and I are not saved by, by works. We're saved by grace through faith. That's what the Bible reminds us. See, I'm not troubled by any hypocrisy, not of Tamar's hypocrisy, not of Judah. It doesn't trouble me one bit because the thing that is keeping me is the grace of God. I'm not holding on to God because I'm strong. He's holding on to me because he is. It's not my merit. It's not because of anything that I'm worth. And here's the biggest surprise of the story. You're, you're ready for this? Matthew chapter one, verses one to three. This is what the Bible says. Can you stand up to your feet with me, church? Matthew chapter one, verses one to three. This is what the Bible says. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Verse three, listen up. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. See, in this genealogical record of the ancestors of Jesus, we find the names of these two wretched people. The Son of God chose to come to earth as a man through the Judah and the Tamar. What a wretch of the, a man this guy was, but Jesus comes through his lineage, this lineage of human trafficking. Listen closely. This man who sold his own brother, who lied, who deceived, this lying, scheming, adulterating, fornicating man to come into this world. So the hero of this story is not Judah or Tamar. They're just worth mentioning. But the hero of the story is the one who is full of grace, full of truth. His name is Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you do not know this Jesus, you're missing out. You're missing out what restored them and what gave them a place and what gave them a name and what restored them to a place of blessing was their identity in God and God saying, when you come to me in true repentance, which he did, he didn't make up stories, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't make up excuses. He said, I messed up, God. There's somebody today that needs to look at God and say, I messed up. There's somebody that needs to say this. It, it might be a Judah, it might be a Tamar that needs to look at God and say, that's me, God. I'm, I'm a Judah, I'm a Tamar. I need to come to you with whatever, whatever issue it is. I don't know what you're struggling with today, but I want to challenge you today. If you can lay it down at the feet of Jesus and say, I need salvation. I need grace. I need this grace to come find me. He loves you unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have a prayer team here. 
communion as usual. If you want to partake in communion, you can go to the back. Uh, communion will be served. There'll be somebody there to serve communion, so make sure that you avail of that. We do corporate communion once a month here, and that's next week, the last Sunday of every month. But if you're going to miss it, or if you missed it last time, please make sure that you go back there. Someone will lead you in communion. We hate for you to miss communion. But we're going to make ourselves available for prayer. There's a prayer team available. I'm going to be here for prayer. There's somebody that needs to say, brother, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want grace. I want to experience this beautiful grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.